0: Tonight, I want to look at Galatians. So if you get to the first chapter of Galatians, um, I think it speaks to some of the stuff that we're... That we're... turning it up. Okay. That we're experiencing in uh, the uh, church as a... Uh, Whole Church of uh, Christ in the world today. Okay, we're going to read uh, verse one in chapter one through verse ten, but we're probably just going to deal with verses six through ten. Verses one through five are the greeting, and I also have a. uh, uh, introduction to Galatians, but there, I'm not going to do that because I won't be here to do the next one. So we'll just do the next one. Y'all know Galatians. Heidi, Galatians, how you doing? Uh, Chuck. All right. <laughs> introduction. Did you get that one, Sam? Not good. Okay. Okay. Uh, here we go, verse 1. Oh, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share the good word with uh, my uh, fellow brothers and sisters here and with anybody that's uh, watching on the old interweb. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you will speak through me and something will stick that needs to. And I ask it in the mighty precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the Church of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel. Uh, good news That is the one we preach to you. I say again. We have said before if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed Let that person be cursed And Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay. Uh, The churches of uh, Galatia were beset by what we call Judaizers. That was Jews who wanted to bring the new Christian church into the Jewish fold. They wanted to... uh, make Jews of everybody in the church, or they wanted to discourage uh, Gentiles from being part of the church. And so uh, when Paul heard about this, he was uh, ministering in other parts of the country. And so he wrote this uh, other parts uh, of the known world. And so anyway, he wrote this letter to uh, the Ephesian churches to try to get him back on track because he couldn't go and see him. By reading between the lines in six through 10, I wonder if we can describe the emotions that Paul was feeling as he began to write this letter. Um, Did it sound like he was angry? Sound like he was uh shocked and dismayed and uh, astonished. Hmm? astonished that they would buy that bill of goods uh, I remember when I was a kid uh right on the uh curve on seventy seven a guy had a little car lot, and he had a nineteen fifty dodge. Uh, coupe, a little two-seater. He wanted 50 bucks for it. It didn't run and I wanted that car so bad. And uh, I took dad to look at it. He looked at it and it was just a pile of rusty junk. They should have paid me for hauling it off of there. He was astonished that I would actually want to buy that thing. He was just blown away. He uh, felt bad for me. He was embarrassed, and I think that's the way Paul felt. I didn't get the car, by the way. Uh, have you ever been disappointed in a child or friend who seemed to turn their backs on the principles you had uh, instilled in them? Yeah, it's cock. Like sometimes they do stuff that you just didn't think of. To tell them not to do, you know, you just thought it would be intuitive. Have you ever noticed uh, how teenagers value a device of other teens of the same age and the uh, same experience level over your more mature experience advice? My dad said, I shouldn't do that, but if you think it's okay, I will, you know, and that's the way that goes. Um, Have you ever helped somebody get back on their feet, help them overcome bad habits or addictions, and later watch them go down the same old road again? The road that you both agreed was dangerous and foolish. Did you ever just throw up your hands and say, "I give up, and walk away"? I've done that, and maybe shouldn't have. But uh. what was uh, what was uh, Paul's response to the, the similar situation? Uh, he was disappointed in his converts and concerned for their spiritual condition. By the way I thought I was going to it's going to be a short one and let y'all out early but somehow I've accumulated 11 pages of notes on <laughs> 6 through 10 As far as the personal attacks go, sometimes it's better just to consider the source and ignore the slander and rely on your good reputation for this uh, rebuttal. But Paul understood that the defense of the gospel depended on the defense of his reputation, his status as an apostle of Christ, directly commissioned by Christ with the authority of God. Okay, so, so here's the deal. He had to come out and aggressively defend who he was. Why? Jesus never defended himself. But you got to understand, what didn't they have that we have now? The Bible. If We uh, were pushing a point at someone and somebody else was trying to interfere with that by tearing me down uh, personally, I can always say that this is what the Bible says, here it is, here's the final authority. They didn't have that. All they had was their reputation. And the reputation the church was built on was by the apostles, and that were the people, that was the people, who uh, personally knew Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was about the last one Uh, where did Paul meet uh, Jesus Uh, on the way to Damascus didn't he and uh, so he was personally commissioned by Christ to go and spread the the gospel okay Uh, so if he let his identity be compromised in the gospel he preached and the churches he started would also be compromised. Why do you think that Paul wrote a letter rather than just going to visit them? No, he was ministering. Uh, uh, the practical reasons, I think, were uh, travel. Uh, Travel over land was uh, very arduous and very slow. It was at walking pace, dangerous, because there were criminals and thieves out, no highway uh, police department, uh, no AAA roadside service, no uh, uh, we'll leave the light on for you, you know. And uh, the cheapest way, uh, that was the cheapest way, but the uh, the other way was by sea. If you were close to the coast, you could catch a ship that, you know, sailed along the coast, but that was very expensive. So uh, he was reduced to a letter. But let's, let's think about this in the long term. God could have made a way for him, but he wanted to write the letter. And this happened to him over and over again. And because of that, we have a sizable chunk of the New Testament written by Paul to other people. Um, the word, uh, the word uh, deserting, in verse six can be used for many uh, different meanings, uh, anything from a simple action to a crime in the English language. Uh, In what sense do you think Paul meant it when he said you have deserted your, in verse six and seven? Do I need to read that again? Seven six, I am shocked that you are turning away okay my this interpretation is turning away, but uh the 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 uh huh no, I'm talking about where he said they were turning away or deserting the gospel, yeah, I have a I have one that's a little below the nearly-inspired version so uh, it's easier for me to understand. Uh, Anyway, why would you use that? Which way did you use it? Uh, There's a way you could use it to say that you're just uh, quitting something that you started, which is what this sounds like, but it's not. And the other way is um, that if you desert on the battlefield during uh, a battle. And that's the way it's used here, that they deserted the battlefield during a battle. Well, you know, I still can't figure out why they did what they did. Um, maybe, maybe somebody can invite, enlighten me. When Paul accused the Galatians of deserting the one who called you, the word he used in the Greek was metathem, means to desert one's commanding officer in battle. So Paul started out by pulling no punches and used a very strong leg describing the severity of their actions. Paul did not let them off as innocent dupes, being forcibly drawn away against their wills. He didn't didn't let them do that. uh, uh, Paul clearly, clearly accuses them of actively abandoning the one who called them. Although Paul identifies Judaizers as starting the trouble, he places the blame squarely on the Galatians for cooperating with the heretics. So uh, Paul's cutting no slack, no slack at all. And uh, I think that's a good example uh, for the way that this country used to be. If you messed up, you took ownership of that mess up and you were held accountable for it. We don't do that anymore. We don't recognize someone's mistakes or someone's uh, ill intents. We don't recognize that there's anything like evil in the world because it's it's a disease or somebody's had a bad childhood or something. Um, Here's a good example of a problem in our society today. We're all human and we all make mistakes, errors in judgment, but good portion of our society does not take responsibility for their actions. There are rules and guidelines that we set up as a society for the safety of our welfare and liberty for everyone, and these rules and guidelines are called laws, and there must be some sort of deterrent for those who live and that society refuse to abide by those laws. I think we're seeing in the last year or two that there are no deterrents. And that's why 10, 15, 20 people can walk in the store and strip the, shirt, the, the shelves and walk out. And nobody does anything about it. When society becomes unwilling to hold each other to a code of ethics and refuses to recognize evil among them and among themselves, the society is doomed to self-destruction. Jeez, Maybe I should have done something with a little more uplifting. I'm not sure. I believe that America today has become such a society and Paul was fighting that society everywhere he went. The tolerance of evil was present throughout the known world at that time and the church, uh, although new and struggling, was the first social order to fight against evil in centuries. Everything was permeated with evil the uh, religious systems, the, the law systems, whether you're talking about uh, the Jewish law, or the occupation of the Romans, which just evil. And, and everybody took it for normal. This is normal. Um, when Paul speaks about the one that called them Who's the one that he's talking about? We're going to cover a few little pieces here that uh, somebody might try to trip you up with if they're, you know, arguing against your your testimony. And so we need to nail these down so that we're clear on them. So who's he talking about? Is he talking about, uh, paul calling them or is he talking about sam says he's talking about uh, god who called them sam is right put one in sam's bucket there you you got that one when we see that uh, paul seems angry and we know that paul is the one who evangelized them and gave them the gospel we might think that the one who called you, by, your grace of, by the grace of Christ, is Paul himself. But if you have read much of Paul, you will understand that his views have always been that God is the only one who can call to salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Paul wrote, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is not upset that the Galatians have rejected his call he is upset because the Galatians were turning away from the call of God himself. Uh, here's a question for uh, King James Version users. Anybody got any King James Version here? No? Well, s- somebody ought to get one and drag them in here. I do too. There's a real pretty up on that shelf. Uh, here's a question for King James Version. Hey, that is a, I learned the, the scriptures that I have uh, memorized mostly from King James Version because it's so poetic, written so well, and it's, it, it's easy to memorize. Uh, in verse six, Paul says, you are turning Uh, You are turning another gospel, and in verse 7, he quickly states, which is not another. Paul seems to contradict himself. The question would be, what does Paul mean by another gospel which is not another? And that's where the King James puts it. Yet another hiccup in translation from Greek to English. Paul uses two different Greek words for another when the English only provides us with one. In verse 6, the word is heteron, which is what you would use in the Greek to speak of a difference between things that are totally different, like a dog and a cat. Um... Or like an apple and an orange. And in verse 7, the word for another in the Greek word is "alon," which describes two things that are the same but different, like an apple and an apple, you know, Granny Smith and a Red Delicious. Or like a dog and a dog, a German Shepherd and a Fred, a Chihuahua. So, what is Paul saying? In six, he is saying that the, this new thing you got is nothing, absolutely nothing like the thing I first gave you. And in seven, Paul says that he is not rejecting the same gospel that is simply in another form from one he originally preached, like James and Peter and John, who presented the same gospel packaged or explained in a different way. He said, No, this is not the case. This is not the case that it's just presented a different way, and I don't like the, that they're not using my exact words. He's saying this is something totally different from the original one. you got the stone instead of the bread. you got the serpent instead of the egg. you got the booby prize. I think things like these are important to know so we are not, uh, not confused about Scripture that appear confusing and can explain it To others who may be questioning the inerrancy of the word. As we read along in this book, we begin to understand that Paul understands that he can't have a two-way conversation with these people. Why can't he have a two-way conversation? He's not there. Okay, so he's not there because, so he writes the, uh, the letter. But what, what the point of this is, is that you, you can read it in several of his writings. He asks a question, and then he answers a question. He makes a statement, and then he gives a rebuttal to the statement. He anticipates what somebody would ask him or say to him if he was there. He kind of has an argument with himself. And so that's what goes, that's one thing that's going on here when you see that. What a lawyer would do. When they, when they make their case, they come up with questions, and then they think about what somebody would say, and then they come up with a rebuttal. Right, right. That's exactly right. Mary Beth said it's kind of the way a lawyer does when he's preparing for a case. He asks a question hoping it would uh, lead to another question that he, he wants to answer so that he can make a rebuttal. Okay. So, so if you put a period after the first part of coming I mean, you know end of verse six before it starts in the seventh, it's basically what you said is is that somebody's teaching you that it's a different gospel. There is no other gospel, what do right. you say? Right. Okay. Well, there's no other true gospel. Uh okay, question six. Um uh, In verse 8, Paul pronounces a curse on anyone who would preach a different gospel than the one originally preached to them. Does Paul actually have the authority to pronounce curses? And if so, by whose authority does he do so? by By the authority of Jesus, and who gave him that authority? Okay, uh, short answer is yes. He has the authority of the one who sent him. Uh, I, I, kinda, I kinda had a little chuckle there when I read that, uh, when I wrote it actually. I was thinking of Donna, my wife, who I saw curse a mimosa tree and it died. And listen, folks, you can't kill them most of the tree. It's like a stinking uh, cockroach. It just keeps coming. But she cursed it once, and it died. And she prayed for uh, a tree in our front yard because it was about to die, and it got well. So what does that mean, other than uh, if you've got a tree problem, call Donna? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, we, We're what? Who said that? Speak. We have authority. We have that authority because Christ gave it to us, didn't he? He says, you know, you have uh, blessings and curses in your mouth. Speak uh, life or death. We have to be aware of that. We have to be careful what comes out of our mouth. Okay. Why would Paul even hint that he or even an angel might change the message he's preaching? Is that what he did? Did Did he hint at that? Let God curse, uh, verse uh, 8, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. What's that statement all about? Is, uh, is, is, does he think that he'll ever change his mind and preach a different gospel? No. No. What about an angel? Uh, I said, even if an angel pretended to preach to you the gospel. Right. If. What? Wh- I call this the Rush Limbaugh effect. Uh, it's a hyperbole. He gives the. Uh, really stupid answer to a question like, you know, uh, we have uh, filet mignon tonight on sale for five bucks or a grilled cheese sandwich on sale for five bucks. Which one would you like? You know. He's using the ridiculous to illustrate the obvious. All hyperbole. Okay. Uh, why use the example of an angel this is interesting uh there is an ancient jewish tradition that says that god used angels to communicate the law to moses on mount sinai did he no he didn't but that's jewish tradition that's why he 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 said that I don't believe this is true because Moses talked to God and was not stopped from worshiping. That's another thing, you know, usually in the Old Testament, when somebody decided, oh, this must be God or a God, they'd get down and and try to worship. If it was a messenger from God, like an angel, he would tell them to stop worshiping because he wasn't to be worshiped, being an angel. You understand? Uh, here we go. How am I doing? Yeah. But being a well-established tradition, the Judaizers could have used it in such a way to convince the Galatians to go back to the law. They could have used that uh, Jewish uh, angel fairy tale. So Paul, using the uh, extreme, once again, to make a point, says, even if one of these angels came and preached a different gospel than the first one, you heard from me, don't believe it, and let him be eternally condemned. Can you explain what Paul meant exactly by eternally condemned. Okay, um, uh, that's uh, kind of along the same lines, but there's, uh, there's some more meaning here. Um, the, uh, the word translated eternally condemned in verse eight and nine is eth- anathema. It uh, is a word used throughout the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures the Septuagint, to translate the Hebrew word harem. Harem was a word used to describe anything or anyone who was to be destroyed by God. Anything that was to be uh, the object of divine wrath and vengeance was harem. So uh, he was saying destroyed by God, utterly, completely. Finally, we see in these uh, two verses, 8 and 9, Paul repeats in 9 what he has said in 8. And we all know why he did that. But um, Paul sees the situation in Galatia so serious that he leaves no room for which uh, underlines the importance and the seriousness of this pronouncement. Um, if you say it once, if he says it once, he listen. says it twice, give him your attention because it's important. So from all this information we have learned in verses 8 and 9, what application can we take away from this for ourselves? I, uh, when I study the Bible, the most important thing to me is application. How can it benefit my walk with Christ? And what it always does for me is places a mirror in front of me that I can see myself, my spiritual self. And I find myself asking me, am I a Pharisee or could it be possible that I'm playing the role of a Judaizer? Now I know that sounds silly, but let's think about that. What are the Judaizers wanting to put in the gospel? Their tradition, right? The... Uh, Uh, I don't know how you talk about this nicely, but the um, well everything that the uh, Jewish uh being Jewish incurred they, they want to the um, uh formal formalities uh, and uh the uh, Celebrations or the uh, yeah, just the traditional stuff, and uh, I see church sometimes that we try to do the same thing. We try to put our traditions and mix them in with the gospel. And do we do it on purpose, or just because it's been done over and over again? Do we say, you, buddy, take your hat off in church to a kid that's got a hat on because we think it's in the Bible when it's not? Or we say, bless her heart, Miss Vera, used to come by and make me spit my gum out because chewing gum in church was of the devil somehow. And I never figured that one out. She I was grown, had two kids, and she'd come around and hit me in the back of the head and tell me to spit my gum out. I miss her, I really do, sweet lady. But uh we we try to to do that and uh, we we want to ostracize people by the way they're dressed, um, by maybe how they smell. Uh by the type of sin that they have in their life, right? I mean, sin, sin, right? right. right. Sin's sin, sin. Uh, all sin will send you to hell, right? What's the difference between a sinner out on the street and me in church? Right. And nothing except I'm saved. That's it. So if the sin of lying will send you to hell, and the sin of covetousness will send you to hell, uh, just as easily as the sin of uh, homosexuality will send you to hell. But if you're saved, if you go through that process, and here's, I think, where we mess up sometimes. We expect it to work like tied soap pods. You know, you put a couple in the washing machine, you put your old dirty blue jeans in there and it comes out and they smell good and they're clean. But that's not the way it works, is it? They come out on the other side and a process called uh, sanctification starts taking place. And we, if we think we're so spiritually highly evolved, need to understand that we need to be patient and let God do what God does. You know, I didn't get saved while I was 25, and uh, I was doing a lot of different stuff. And God had to take that away from me over the next three years, and he's still taking stuff away from me, you know. I can see him moving and in, uh, in my life so let's not uh, let's not kill the kids uh, enthusiasm they're going to get back from camp here in a couple of days and they're going to be full of themselves and we don't want to dampen that spirit We don't want to call them down for. You know, I, my family was a family of big teasers. We teased each other about everything, you know? And I've got to be careful of that because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings because I'm teasing. I think uh, humor is a great thing. I think it's better uh, used when it's uh Getting somebody to laugh at myself rather than laughing at somebody else. Yeah. So, uh, well, I got time. I can do some more. Oh, yeah. Paul is uh, using a logical argument in verse 10. To say that his efforts as an evangelist is not to become wildly popular with people because if he were, he would not be an apostle of Christ and uh, working for an organization under extreme persecution. Now that's something that we all got to realize and a lot of us do, but for new Christians that, yeah, yeah I'm a Christian. Not everybody's going to be thrilled over that. Most of the world will not be thrilled over that. And a lot of the world will stand up against you because of your stance for Christ. So we need to realize that and prepare for it. You know, I was on a mission trip to uh, Allende, I believe it was, in Mexico. We were building a church kind of out in the woods. From the city of Allende, and we got out there to look at the job site uh, early Sunday, Sunday afternoon or Monday morning—I can't remember—but uh, it was Sunday morning, and we're looking at it and shaking our heads, saying, yeah, "This will never work," <laughs> which usually it worked, and it did. But uh, we heard a hymn being sung in Spanish, send a lock out in the woods. So we started walking toward it and we walked down through a little valley through some trees and come up in the clearing and there was a trailer there and there was a stood a man preaching to his wife, his two daughters and the dog and they were having church. And he was a preacher that got saved as a kid in a uh, Baptist um, mission group. His parents disowned him because he, he had to uh, you know, get, get rid of his Catholicism. He couldn't get a job, and, uh, but God had promised him a church. And, and uh, for all those years, he was uh, excluded, but uh, he prayed every day for a church and we were the answer to that prayer. We built the church and uh, I think we heard from him two weeks later after we left and he is running 200 people. (laughs) So don't quit praying for your dreams, but also understand that Not everybody's gonna offer you a helping hand, but that's you need to offer yours. Uh, Well, I should have kept a rubber thumb. Okay. This one is a little long, let's see what time it is. Paul is using a local argument in verses 10 to say that his efforts as an evangelist is not to become Wally Popwell, we read that so. Why might Paul have made this statement in in this letter? One of the uh, changes brought, charges brought against Paul was by the Judaizers was that he was a man pleaser, someone willing to compromise the law in order to curry favor with the Gentiles. Through Paul's writings to the Corinthian church, we might see where they could have uh, gotten this idea. In 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those having the the law, I became like one not having the law. Uh, Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that they are all possible means I might save some. I do not, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. The complete, uh, then complete this passage, oh, I'm sorry. Then couple, this passage was Acts 16, one through 3 when he had Timothy circumcised in Lystra but refused to have Titus circumcised in Jerusalem. Galatians 2, 1 through 5. So this is what uh, brought on the changes against Paul, uh, the charges against Paul as a people pleaser because in this situation he had one of his buddies uh, uh, fixed and in the other one uh, he didn't, and they were trying to figure out what why circumcision was appropriate in one place and not the other, and they were calling Paul he just pleasing the crowd that he was uh, ministering to. But uh, what about uh, Paul's? Uh, what about Timothy's circumcision, and Titus's uncircumcision? How does that square with the consistency of Paul's gospel to the Gentiles? Well, let's look at this uh, this uh, scriptures and uh, answer the question. Uh, Paul came to Derby. this is Acts uh, 16, 1 through 3. Then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him on his journey, so he circumcised him, because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew his father was Greek. Okay, you with me so far? Sure? Okay, in Galatians uh, 2, 1 through 5. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not run, running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised uh, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ, and G- in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, so then Titus wasn't circumcised, although they, the crowd wanted to be circumcised. Uh, first of all, if we read, uh, we read 10, we see Paul admitting to one being a man pleaser, but not anymore. He was referenced to at one time being a man pleaser, was before he got uh, met Jesus on Damascus Road and he was destroying churches and uh, killing people that were Christians. He was doing that, and he was being a man-pleaser because most of the crowd was behind him, like I said. Uh, If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word doulos, which is translated servant in NIV, means slave. Now, the key to understanding these two passages were one circumstance size and the other was not, lies in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. This is Paul's ministry uh, philosophy, to be all things to all men so that some might be saved. We read that. In Timothy's situation, his mother was Jewish and his father was Gentile. He had no effective ministry in either culture because in one culture, he was uh, to the Jewish culture he was he was uh, still a um, non-Jewish and to the non-jewish commar- uh, uh, people he was still Jewish. So you know, do one or the other. So he was circumcised, which normalized him to the Jewish culture his mother's culture so that he could evangelize more effectively. It had nothing to do with salvation or his salvation, just becoming all things to all men. Titus is... uh, situation was different. Both his parents were Gentile, yet the Judaizers were insisting he was circumcised in order for him to be saved. But Paul did not yield to this pressure. In all these situations, he never compromised the content of the gospel. One must be saved by grace through faith and not through any other actions or inactions. In the passages we have read so far, we see Paul exhibiting a mature Christian love for the Galatians. He loved them enough to confront them with the truth and, of their sin. Not the most popular thing we could do with our brothers and sisters today, but it is the type of love sorely needed in the church today, a love that concerned with the spiritual condition of his body and not just numerical condition we must confront each other with love for we are accountable not just to god but to each other if we let someone begin to slip into hell in order to preserve a friendly relationship we have done our fellow brother or sister a great disservice and have not pleased god the end Well if uh, yeah if we uh, and look not that we want to walk around and pick out stuff about the people in the church that's being judgmental that's the kind of judgmental that Jesus was talking about when he was telling, his people get the plank out of their eye before they can take a out. But if someone is really sinking and needs help, then we need to confront them with the gospel of Christ. Okay, is there any questions or comments? I'll repeat them the best I can for the interweb out there if not uh, let's pray be dismissed father i thank you lord for your word thank you lord for the opportunity to use these clay lips to speak your word thank you for the time you gave me for study and the patience you gave me for typing with my old crooked finger. And, uh, Lord, I pray that this Word will go out and find fertile ground, and something good will happen because we sent the Word out. Because it says your Word doesn't go out void, but always brings in a harvest. So we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.